to the sermon itself. Our text this morning will come from Genesis 19, verse 12 through 16. Verse 12 through 16, this is a sermon that was preached by the bishop, the Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, somewhere in between uh, 1830s to 1850s. And he titled this sermon, Remember Lot. So, brothers and sisters, out of respect and adoration, stand with me and let's read this portion of God's Word. Genesis chapter 19, beginning at verse 12. And then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws, his sons-in-law, and were and who were to marry his daughters and said, "Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city." But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, "Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. And so the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon them, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. And thus ends the reading of God's precious word. You may be seated. And brothers and sisters, and may the Lord add His blessing to this word. What we will address this morning is from verse 16, one small phrase. If you look in your Bibles right there at the beginning of verse 16, you're going to see the phrase, but he, and that is Lot, hesitated, or in the King James says, lingered, but he lingered. Now that's the subject of our message this morning by Bishop Ryle. Who is this man that lingered? Lot, the nephew of faithful Abraham. And when did he linger? The very morning Sodom was to be destroyed. Now where did he linger? Within the walls of Sodom itself. And before whom did he linger? Under the eyes of the two angels who were sent to bring him out of the city. Now beloved, the words are solemn. And full of food for thought. I trust they will make all of you think. Who knows, but they are the very words your soul requires this morning. The voice of the Lord Jesus commands you to remember Lot's wife. Luke chapter 17 and verse 32. And the voice of one of his ministers invites you this day to remember Lot. Now let me try to show you four things from the text. The first is what Lot was himself. Secondly, what the text already quote, what quoted tells us of Lot. Thirdly, what reasons may account for his lingering. And then fourthly, what kind of fruit his lingering brought forth. Number one, what was Lot? Now, this is a most important point. If I leave it unnoticed, I shall perhaps miss that class of professing Christians I want to especially to benefit. You would perhaps say after listening to this sermon, Oh, Lot was a poor, dark creature, an unconverted man, a child of this world. No wonder he lingered. But mark now what I say. Lot was nothing of the kind. Lot was a true believer. A real child of God. A justified soul and a righteous man. Has any one of you grace 
in your heart? So had Lot. Has any one of you the hope of salvation? So had Lot. Is any one of you here this morning a new creation in Christ? So was Lot. Is any one of you a traveler in the narrow way which leads unto life? So also was Lot. Do not think this is my private opinion, a mere arbitrary fancy of my own, a notion unsupported by Scripture. I mean, do not suppose I want you to believe it merely because I say it. But the Holy Ghost has placed the matter beyond controversy by calling Him just and righteous. 2 Peter 2, verse 7 and 8. And has given us evidence of that grace that was in Him. One evidence of that grace is that He lived in a wicked place, seeing and hearing evil all around Him. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. And yet was not wicked Himself. Now to be a Daniel in Babylon... An Obadiah in Ahab's house and an Abijah in Jeroboam's family are a saint in Nero's court and a righteous man in Sodom. A man must have the grace of God. Another evidence is that he vexed his soul with unlawful deeds. He beheld all around him lawlessness. He was wounded and grieved, pained and hurt at the sight of sin. This was feeling like a holy David who says, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not the word of God. Rivers of water ran down my eyes because they keep not thy law. Psalm 119 verse 136 and 158. Nothing will account for this but the grace of God. Nothing can account for Lot's vexation but the grace of God. Another evidence is that his soul was vexed from day to day with the unlawful deeds he saw. He did not at length become cool or lukewarm about sin as many do. Familiarity and habit do not take off the fine edge of his feelings, as too often is the case. Many a man is shocked and startled at the first sight of wickedness, and yet becomes at last so accustomed to see it that he views it with comparative unconcern. This is especially the case with those who live in towns and cities, but it's not so with Lot. And this is a great mark of the reality of His grace. Such as one was Lot, a just and righteous man, a man sealed and stamped as an heir of heaven and saved by the Holy Ghost. Now, beloved, before you pass on from my comments, remember that a true Christian may have many a blemish, many a defect, many an infirmity, and yet be a true Christian nevertheless. You do not despise gold because it is mixed with much dross. You must not undervalue grace because it is accompanied with much corruption. Listen on and you will find that Lot paid a dear, dear price for his lingering. And do not forget as you listen, that Lot was a child of God. Secondly, let us pass on to the second thing I spoke of, and that is, what does the text already quoted in Genesis 19 tell us about Lot's behavior? The words are wonderful and astounding. He lingered. He lingered. And the more you consider the time and the circumstances, the more wonderful you will think of these words. Lot knew the awful condition of the city in which he stood. There was an outcry, the text says, of its abominations. 
They had waxed great before the Lord. And yet, he lingered. Lot knew the fearful judgment coming down on all within its walls. The angels had said plainly to him, the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And yet Lot knew that God was a God who always kept his word. And if he said a thing, he would surely make it come to pass. He could hardly be Abraham's nephew and live long with him and not be aware of this. Yet, what did he do? He lingered. Lot believed there was danger. For he, he went to his sons-in-law. He warned them to flee. Up, he said. Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And yet, he lingered. Lot saw the angels of God standing by, waiting for him and his family to go forth. And yet, what did he do? He lingered. Lot heard the voice of those ministers of wrath ringing in his ears to hasten him. Arise, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. And yet, what did he do? He lingered. He lingered. He was slow when he should have been quick. Backward when he should have been moving forward. Trifling when he should have been hastening. Loitering when he should have been hurrying. Cold when he should have been hot. It is passing strange. It seems almost incredible. It appears too wonderful to be true. But the Spirit writes it down for our learning. And so it was this way. Beloved, there are many of the Lord Jesus Christ people very much like Lot. Mark well what I say. I repeat it that there may be no mistake about my meaning. I have shown you what Lot, that Lot lingered. I say that there are many Christian men and Christian women in this day very much like Lot. There are many real children of God who appear to know far more than they live up to and see far more than they practice and yet continue in this lingering state for many years. Wonderful that they go as far as they do and yet go no further. They hold to the head, which is Christ. They love the truth. They like sound preaching. They assent to every article of gospel doctrine when they hear it. But still there is an indescribable something which is not satisfactory about them. They are constantly doing things which disappoint the expectation of their ministers and of more advanced Christian friends. Marvelous that they should think as they do and yet stand still. They believe in heaven and yet seem faintly to long for it. And in hell, yet seem little to fear it. They love the Lord Jesus, but the work they do for Him is small. They hate the devil, but they often appear to tempt Him to come to them. They know the time is short, but they live as if it were long. They know they have a battle to fight, yet a man thinks he is at peace. They know they have a race to run, and yet they often look like they're standing still. They know the judge is at the door. There is wrath to come, and yet they appear half asleep. Astonishing that they should be what they are, and yet be nothing more. And what shall we say of these people? They often puzzle godly friends and Relations. They often cause great anxiety. They often give rise to great doubts and searchings of heart. That they may be classed under one sweeping description. They are all brethren and sisters of Lot. Because they linger. These are they who get the notion into their minds that it's impossible for all believers to be very holy and very spiritual. 
They allowed the imminent holiness is a beautiful thing. They like to read about it in books. They even see it occasionally in others. But they do not think that all are meant to aim at so high a standard. At any rate, they seem to make up their minds that it is all beyond their reach. These are they who get into their heads false ideas of charity, as they call it. They would fain please everyone and suit everybody and be agreeable to everybody. And they would forget that they ought to first be sure that they please God first. These are they who dread sacrifices and shrink from self-denial. They never appear able to apply our Lord's command to cut off the right hand and pluck out the right eye. They spend their lives trying to make the gate more wide and the cross more light. But they never succeed. These are they who are always trying to keep up with the world. They are ingenious in discovering reasons for not separating decidedly. Or in framing plausible excuses for attending questionable amusements. Keeping up questionable friendships. One day you are told about them attending a Bible reading or study. And the next day perhaps you hear of them going to a party. They are constantly laboring to persuade themselves that to mix a little with worldly people on their own ground does good. Yet in their case, it is very clear they do no good and only receive harm from it. These are they who cannot find it in their heart to quarrel with their own besetting sin. Whether it be laziness, indolence, ill temper, pride, selfishness, impatience, whatever. They allow it to remain a tolerably quiet and undisturbed tenant of their hearts. They say it is their health or their constitutions or their temperaments or their trials or their habits. It's the problem. Their father or mother or grandmother was so before themselves and they are sure they cannot help it. And when you meet after the absence of a year or so, you hear the same thing. And what he is saying is, they don't change from year to year. But all in all, all may be summed up in one single sentence. They are the brethren and sisters of Lot. They linger. Beloved, if you are a lingering soul, you are not happy. You know you are not. It would be strange indeed if you were. Lingering is the sure destruction of a happy Christianity. A lingerer's conscience forbids him to enjoy inward peace. Perhaps at one time you ran well, but you have left your first love. You have never felt the same comfort since then. And you never will until you return to your first works. Like Peter, when the Lord Jesus was taken prisoner, you are following the Lord from far off. And like him, Peter, you will find the way not pleasant, but hard. Come and look at Lot. Come and mark, mark Lot's history. Come and consider Lot's lingering and be wise. Which brings us to our third point. Let us consider the reasons that may account for Lot's lingering. And this is a question of great importance. And I ask for your serious attention to it. To know the root of a disease is one step towards a remedy. He that is forewarned is forearmed. Who is there among the listeners of this sermon that feels secure? Or has no fear of lingering? Come and listen while I tell you a few passages of Lot's history. And do as he did, and it will be a miracle indeed if you do not get into the same state of soul as he, soul as he. One thing I will observe 
in Lot is this. He made a wrong choice early in life. A wrong choice early in life. There was a time when Abraham and Lot lived together. They both became rich and could live together no longer. Abraham, the elder of the two, in the true spirit of humility and courtesy, gave Lot the choice of the country. And when they resolved to part company, if you, Abraham said, will take the left, I will go to the right. If you take the part to the right, I will go to the left. And what did Lot do? Well, we are told he saw the plains of Jordan near Sodom were rich and fertile and well watered. And it was a good land for cattle, full of pastures. He had large flocks and herds and it was just suited his requirements. And this was the land he chose for a residence. Simply because it was rich and well watered land. It was near the town of Sodom. He didn't care. The men of Sodom, who would be his neighbors, were very wicked. It didn't matter to Lot. They were sinners before God exceedingly, and it made no difference to him. The pasture was rich. The land was good. He wanted such a country for his flocks and herds. And before that argument, if he had any scruples at all about Sodom, he had none after the argument that he had with Abraham and he went his own way. See, before the argument that he had with Abraham, what he's pointing out is he probably sat around and said, you know, those are people who are wicked. But when he had to make a choice, where did he go? He went and lodged next to them and become part of them. He chose by sight, not by faith. He asked no counsel of God to preserve him from mistakes. He was prayerless. He looked to the things of time and not eternity. He thought of this worldly prophet and not his soul. He considered only what would help him in this life. He forgot the solemn business of the life to come. And this was a very bad beginning. But I observe another thing about Lot is Lot mixed with sinners and there was no occasion for and there was no real reason for him to do so. He mixed with sinners and there was no good reason for him to do so. We are first told that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. This we have, as I already shown, a great mistake. But the next time he is mentioned, we find him actually living in Sodom. The Spirit says expressly in Genesis 14, 12, he dwelt in Sodom. His tents were left behind. The country was forsaken. He occupied a house in the very streets of that wicked town. We are not told the reasons of this change. We are not aware that any occasion could have arisen for it. We are sure that there couldn't have been no command of God to do so. Perhaps his wife liked the town better than the country for the sake of society. It is plain she had no grace herself. Perhaps she persuaded Lot that it was needful for the education of his daughters. Perhaps the daughters urged living in the town for the sake of, of popular company. They were evidently light-minded young women. They were graceless as well. Men never want reasons to confirm their own decisions. But one thing is very clear. Lot dwelt in the midst of Sodom without a good reason. Beloved, when a child of God does these two things which I have named, you never need to be surprised if you hear by and by unfavorable accounts about his soul. You will never need to wonder if he becomes deaf to the warning voice of affliction as Lot was and turns out a lingerer in the day of trial and danger as Lot did. Make a wrong choice, an unscriptural choice in life, and settle yourself down unnecessarily in the midst of a worldly, ungodly people. And I know no sure way to damage your own spirituality and to go backward about your eternal concerns. This is the way to make the pulse of your soul beat feebly and slow. 
This is the way to make this is the way to make the edge of your feeling about sin become dull and blunt. This is the way to dim the eyes of your spiritual discernment till you can scarcely distinguish good from evil and stumble as you walk. This is the way to bring a moral palsy to your feet and hands and make you go tottering and trembling along the road of Zion where the smallest weight is a burden. This is the way to sell your future to your worst enemy. To give the devil the advantage ground in the battle with your soul. To tie your arms in fighting. To fetter your legs in running. To dry up the sources of your strength. To cripple your own energies. To cut off your own hair like Samson and give yourself into the hands of the Philistines. And put out your own eyes and grind at the mill and become a slave. Beloved, wake up and mark well what I am saying. Settle these things down in your mind. Do not forget them. Recollect them in the morning. Recall them to memory at night. Let them sink down deeply into your heart. If, you, if ever you would be safe from lingering, beware of needless mingling with worldly and ungodly people. Beware of Lot's choices. If you would not settle down into a dry, dull, sleepy, barren, heavy, carnal, stupid, torrid state of soul, beware of Lot's choices. Bottom line is, brothers and sisters, are we better than Lot? Remember this in choosing a dwelling place or a residence. It's not enough that a house be comfortable. The situation good, the air quality fine, the neighborhood pleasant, and the expense reasonable. Living cheap. There are other things yet to be considered. You must think of your soul. The will, uh, will the house you think of, uh, of help you towards heaven or hell? Will these decisions help you toward heaven or hell? Is the gospel preached within an easy distance? Is Christ crucified within reach of your own door? Is there a real man of God near who will watch over your soul? I charge you, if you love life, not to overlook this. Beware of Lot's choices. Remember this in choosing a calling for yourself. A place to live or a profession in life. It is not enough that a salary is high. Wages good. The labor light. The advantages numerous. And the prospects of advancement most favorable. Think of your soul, your immortal soul. Will it be fed or starved? Will it be prospered or drawn back? I beseech you by the mercies of God to take heed what you do. Make no rash decision. Look at the place in every light. The light of God as well as the light of the world. Gold may be too dear to you. Remember Lot's choices. Remember this in choosing a husband or a wife. If you are unmarried, it's not enough that they are pleasing to the eye. That your tastes are met. Or that your mind finds congeniality. That there is amiability and affection. That there is a comfortable home for life. There must be something more than this. There is a life yet to come. And of course, why does, why does J.C. Ryle bring up a, a, a married person? Why does he bring up marriage? Who did Lot marry? Someone who sat at the feet of Abraham. Someone who members of Christ's church, but had no grace. That's why he brings this up. It's not enough to have these things outwardly. There must be something more than this, he says. There is a life yet to come. Think of your soul, your immortal soul. Will it be helped upwards? Will it be drugged backwards by the union you are planning? Will it be made more heavenly or more earthly? Will you draw nearer to Christ or nearer to the world? Will... Religion grow in vigor or will it decay? 
I pray you, by all your hopes of glory, allow this to enter into your calculations. Think as the theologian Baxter said, and think and think and think again before you commit yourself. Do not be unequally yoked. Matrimony is nowhere named among the means of conversion. We don't marry people to convert them. We don't marry people to save them. We marry people that we might, with them, grow greater in grace and closer to God in heaven. Remember Lot's choices. Remember this if you are offered the best of jobs. It's not enough to have good pay or regular employment. Those are good. It's not enough to have the confidence of your bosses and superiors and the best chance of rising to a higher position. These things are good in themselves, but they are not everything. How will your soul fare if you serve the company and and if you serve a company that causes you to work on Sunday? What day of the week will you have for God in eternity if you give up your Sundays? What opportunities will you have for hearing the gospel preached? I solemnly warn you to consider this. It will profit you nothing to fill your purse if you bring leanness and poverty to your soul. Beware of selling your Sabbath for the sake of money. Beware of Lot's choices. Beloved, you may perhaps think, a believer need not fear. He is a sheep of Christ. He will never perish. He cannot come to much harm. It cannot be that such small matters can be of great importance. What he's saying is there are going to be some who hear this and say, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Oh, a true Christian's going to heaven no matter what. Well, listen to what he says. He goes, well, you may think so. And I warn you, if you neglect them, your soul will never prosper. A true believer will certainly not be cast away, although he may linger. But if he does linger, it is vain to suppose that his religion will thrive. Now listen to this. Grace is a tender plant. Unless you cherish it and nurse it well, it will soon become sickly in this evil world and may droop, though it will never die. Is that what you want? The brightest gold will soon become dim when exposed to damp atmosphere. The hottest iron will soon become cold when it requires pains and toils to bring it to red heat. It requires nothing but letting alone or a little cold water to become black and hard. You may be an earnest, zealous Christian now, And you may feel like David in his prosperity. I will never be moved, Psalm 30, verse 6. But be not deceived. You have only to walk in Lot's steps and to make Lot's choices and you will soon come to Lot's state of soul. Allow yourself to do as he did. Presume to act as he acted. And be very sure that you will soon discover you have become a wretched lingerer like him. And you will find like Samson, the presence of the Lord is no longer with you. You will prove to your own shame an undecided, hesitating man in the day of trial. There will come a canker on your religion and eat its vitality without knowing it. There will come a consumption of your own spiritual strength and waste away in insensibility. And at length you will wake up to find your hands hardly able to do the Lord's work. And your feet hardly able to carry you along the Lord's way. And your faith no bigger than the grain of a mustard seed. And this perhaps at some turning point in your life, at a time when the enemy is coming like a flood, and your need is the greatest. You will be the weakest. Beloved, if you would not become a lingerer in religion, consider these things. If you don't want to be a lingerer, consider these next few things. What kind of fruit did Lot's lingering bear? What fruit 
did Lot's lingering bear. I would not pass over this point for many reasons, and especially in the present day. There are not a few who feel disposed to say, well, after all, Lot was saved. He was justified. He got to heaven. I want no more than that. If I do get to heaven, I shall be content. Is that what you think? Beloved, if this is the thought of your heart, just, just listen for a moment, a little longer, and I will show you one or two things in Lot's history which deserve attention and may perhaps induce you to alter your thinking. I think it of first importance to dwell upon this subject. I will always contend that imminent holiness and imminent usefulness are closely connected. Holiness and usefulness. That happiness and the following of the Lord fully go side by side. And that if believers will linger, they must not expect to be useful in their day and generation or to enjoy great comfort and peace. In believing. Mark, for one thing, Lot did no good among the inhabitants of Sodom. Lot did no good among the inhabitants of Sodom where he lived. Lot lived in Sodom many years. No doubt he had many precious opportunities for speaking of the things of God and trying to turn away the souls from sin. But Lot seems to have affected no one at all. He appears to have had no weight or influence with the people who lived around him. He possessed none of that respect and reverence which even the men of this world will frequently concede to the bright servants of God. See, the world even does recognize faithful men. But the world also smells hypocrisy. Not one righteous person could be found in all of Sodom outside the walls of Lot's home. Not one of its neighbors believed his testimony. Not one of his acquaintances honored the Lord when he worshipped. Not one of his servants served his master's God. Not, not one of all the people from every quarter cared for his opinion when he tried to restrain their wickedness. If you remember, they mocked him. His life carried no weight. His words were not listened to. His religion drew no one. And truly, I do not wonder as a general rule, lingering souls do no good to the world and bring no credit to God's cause. Their salt has too little savor to season the corruption around them. They are not epistles of Christ who can be known and read at all. There is nothing magnetic, attractive, or Christ-reflecting about their ways. Remember this. This is who Lot was. Let's mark another thing about Lot. Lot helped no family member to heaven. Lot helped not one family member to heaven. We are not told how large his family was. But this we know. He had a wife. And two daughters at least. In the day he was called out of Sodom, when he had no more children, if he had no more children besides, but whether Lot's family was large or small, one thing, I, I think one thing's perfectly clear. There is not one among them that feared God. Not one. When he went out and spake to his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and warned them to flee from the coming judgments, we are told, he seemed to them as one that joked around. Jested. They thought it was playing. What fearful words those are. It was as good as saying, who cares for anything you say? So long as the world stands, those worlds will be a painful proof of the contempt with which a lingerer in religion is regarded. The world doesn't respect that. And what was Lot's wife? She, was left, she left the city in his company. She did not go far. She, did, she had no faith to see the need of such a speedy flight. She left her heart in Sodom and she began to flee. She looked back from behind her husband in spite of the 
plainest command not to do so and was at once turned into a pillar of salt. And what of Lot's two daughters? They escaped, indeed, but only to do the devil's work. They became their father's tempter to wickedness and led him to commit the foulest of sins. In short, Lot stood alone in his family. He was not made the means of keeping one soul back from the gates of hell. <laughs> Shocking. And I do not wonder. Lingering souls are seen through their own families. And when seen through, that is when noticed, despised. Their nearest relations understand inconsistency. And they understand nothing else, if they understand nothing else in religion. They draw the sad but not unnatural conclusion, quote, Surely if he believed all he professes to believe, he would, go on, he would not go on to do as he does. Lingering parents seldom have godly children. The eye of the child drinks in far more than the ear, and the child will always observe what you do, what you do much more than what you say. Remember this. Another thing, Lot left no evidences behind him when he died. No evidence of his what? His salvation. Lot left no evidences of salvation. We know but little about Lot after his flight from Sodom. And all that we know is unsatisfactory. His pleading for Zoar because it was a little town. His departure from Zoar afterwards and his conduct in the cave. All in all tell the same story. All showed the weakness of grace that was in him. And the low state of his soul into which he had fallen. We know not how long he lived after his escape from Sodom. We know not where he died or when he died, whether he ever saw Abraham again. What was the manner of his death? What he said or what he thought. All these things are hidden to us. We are told of the last days of Abraham. We are told of the last days of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and David, but not one word about Lot. Oh, what a gloomy deathbed Lot must have had. The Scripture appears to draw a veil around him on purpose. There is a painful silence about his latter end. He seems to go out like an expiring lamp and leave an ill savor behind him. And had... We not been specially told in the New Testament that Lot was a just and righteous man, I verily believe we should have doubted whether Lot was saved at all. Mm. But I do not wonder at his sad end. Lingering believers will generally reap according to what they've sown. Their lingering often meets them when their spirit is in departing. They have little peace at the end. They reach heaven to be sure, but they reach it in the darkness of storm. They are saved, but saved as by fire. Beloved, consider these three things I have just mentioned. Do not misunderstand my meaning. It's amazing to observe how readily people excuse, or at least excuse for misunderstanding the things that concern their souls. I do not tell you that believers who do not linger will, as a matter of course, be great instruments of usefulness in the world. Noah preached for 120 years and none believed him. The Lord Jesus was not esteemed by his own people, the Jews. Nor do I tell you that believers who do not linger will, as a matter of course, be the means of converting their families and relations. David's children were many. Many of them were ungodly. The Lord Jesus was not believed on by his own family. But I say to you, but I say it's impo almost impossible not to see a connection between Lot's evil choices and Lot's lingering, between Lot's lingering and unprofitableness and his family and the world. I believe the Spirit meant for us to see it. I believe the Spirit meant for us to make it a beacon to all professing Christians. And I am sure the lessons I have tried to draw from the whole history deserve serious reflection. 
Let me speak these parting words to all of you who are listening to this sermon, and especially to those who call themselves believers in Christ. I have no wish to make your heart sad. I do not want to give you a a gloomy view of the Christian life at all. My only desire is to give you a friendly warning. I desire your peace and comfort. I I would, uh, would enjoy seeing you happy as well as safe and joyful as well as justified. I speak as I have done only for your good. You live in days when a lingering lot-like religion abounds. Let me say that again. You live in days where a lingering lot-like religion abounds. The stream of profession is far broader than it once was but far less deep in many places. A certain kind of Christianity is almost fashionable now. To belong to some party in the Church of England or to show a zeal for its interest or to talk about the leading controversies of the day, to buy the popular religious books as fast as they come out and to lay them on your table, to attend meetings, subscribe to societies, to discuss the merits of preachers. All these are now comparatively easy and common attainments. Now listen to this. They make, they no longer make a person different and they require no sacrifice to do any of those things. They entail no cross. It's convenience. But to walk closely with God, to be spiritually minded, to behave like strangers and pilgrims in this world, to be distinct from the word, the world in employment of time and conversation, amusement and dress, to bear a faithful witness for Christ in all places, to leave a savor of your master in every society, to be prayerful, humble, unselfish, meek, to be jealously afraid of sin, terribly alive to the danger of this world. These are the things that are rare in Christianity. They are not common among those who are called true Christians. And worst of all, the absence of them is not felt or bewailed as they should be. Beloved, I give you good counsel this day. Do not turn from it. Do not be angry with me for speaking plainly to you. I bid you give diligence to make your own callings and elections sure. I don't want you to be lazy. I don't want you to be careless. I don't want you to be content with a small measure of grace. Not to be satisfied with being a little better than the world. I solemnly warn you not to attempt doing what never can be done. I mean to serve Christ and yet keep up with the world. It's impossible. I call upon you and beseech you. I charge you and exhort you by all hopes of heaven and desires for glory. Do not be a lingering soul. Would you know what the times demand? What did this day demand of you? What's needed most in all of the debates and the confusions that you're around every day. The shaking of the nations, the uprooting of of ancient things, the overturning of kingdoms, the stir and restlessness of men's minds. They all say, Christian, do not linger. Would you be found ready for Christ at His second coming? Your loins girded, your lamp burning, yourself bold and prepared to meet Him? Then don't linger. Would you enjoy much sensible comfort in your religion? Feel the witness of the Spirit of God in you? Know whom you have believed and not be a gloomy, melancholy Christian? Don't linger. Would you enjoy strong assurance of your salvation in a day of sickness and on your deathbed? Would you see with the eye of faith heaven opening and Jesus rising up to receive you as He did Stephen? Don't linger. Would you leave great broad evidences behind when you are gone? Would you like us to lay you in the grave with a comfortable hope and talk of your state after death without a doubt this person was a Christian? Then don't linger. 
Would you be useful to the world in your day and generation? Would you draw men from sin to Christ? Would you make your master's cause beautiful in their eyes? And don't be a lingerer. Would you help your children, your children and relatives toward heaven and make them say, we will go with you and not make, and not make them infidels and despisers of religion? And don't linger. Would you have a great crown in the day of Christ appearing and not be the least and smallest star of glory and not find yourself the last and lowest in the kingdom of God? Don't linger. Let not one of us linger. Time does not linger. Death does not linger. Judgment does not linger. The devil does not linger. The world does not linger. Neither let the children of God linger. Beloved, are you a lingerer? Is your heart heavy? Your conscience sore? While you've been listening to this sermon, does something within you whisper, I am that person? Listen to what I am saying. How is it with your soul? If you are a lingerer, you must go to Christ at once and be cured. You must use the old remedy. You must bathe in the old fountain. You must turn again to Christ and be healed. The way to do a thing is to do it and to do it at once. Think not for a moment your case is past recovery. Think not because you have been long living in a dry and heavy state of soul that there is no hope of revival for you. It is not. Is not the Lord Jesus an appointed physician for the soul? Did He not cure every form of disease when He was on earth? Did He not cast out every kind of devil? Did He not raise poor backsliding Peter and put a new song in his mouth? Oh, doubt not. But earnestly believe that He will yet revive His work within you. Only turn from lingering and confess your folly and come, come at once to Christ. Blessed are the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Only acknowledge thy sin. Return ye backsliding children and I will heal, I will heal your backsliding. Jeremiah 3, 13 and 22. Beloved, remember the soul of others as well as your own. If at any time you see a brother or sister lingering, try to awaken them. Try to arouse them. Try to stir them up. Let us all exhort one another as we have opportunity. Let us provoke unto love and good works. Let us not be afraid to say to each other, Brother or sister, have you forgotten Lot? Awake and remember Lot. Awake and linger no more. Let's pray.